0: It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm here again, as usual, with the best co-host in the business, the mysterious One.
1: Hello, hello. And my friend,
0: midwife extraordinaire, Bliss Young. Hi, Blissie.
1: Hi. Ooh, I got a Blissie today.
0: We're happy to be back with all of your... (laughs) <laughs> what? Ooh, I did. I did say Blissy, didn't I? Oh my god! Oh, I'm turning all red. Now. <laughs> we are happy to be back with all of you. And this is podcast number
1: one fifty five.
0: One fifty five. You got that right. Woo woo! Way to go. That
1: can be my job. I can. I can. I can be prepared. All right.
0: Okay. That's it. That's I got your it. job. <laughs> People had homework from last from the last podcast I forgot what it was. <laughs> we get. Oh, they were supposed to listen to podcast number one. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's okay. right. That's anyway, that's better right. hurry up. Check us out at drstewspodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes and your podcast app. Uh, you can email us at askdrstu at gmail.com or birthingbliss at hotmail.com. Social media on Instagram, uh, Birthing Bliss Midwifery, and I'm at Birthing Instincts. Facebook, we're on, I'm at Dr. Stu and, OB-GYN. and then we have websites, birthinginstincts.com and birthingbliss.com. Got it all in. All right. I love the music, though. I can't Oops. just. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Start what are you doing? What are you doing? You're playing an old podcast?
1: <laughs> I was going to go and see if there were any reviews, but our podcast came up immediately and started talking at me. Oh, so uh, Bliss,
0: Bliss wants to remind <laughs> you guys to, to write reviews. So where do they write reviews? On, on, iTunes? <laughs> on <laughs> iTunes? On iTunes, yeah.
1: And okay. please share. If there's a if there's an actual episode that you really enjoy, share it with your friends. Uh,
0: so I got some upcoming events that I wanted to just put out there first. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be... Talking in um, uh, Princeton, New Jersey, uh, November seventh, at the New Jersey Symposium for Physiologic Birth, mm-hmm. where the keynote speaker will be Kristen Pescucci, who everybody loves mm-hmm. from uh, Informed Pregnancy. No, in, Informed Birth. What's her? What's her?
1: I just recognized uh, Birth name. Monopoly.
0: Birth Monopoly. Yeah, Birth Monopoly. Yeah, sorry, Kristen. <laughs> Ugh, I knew that. I just, there's so <laughs> many different advocacy groups but
1: amazing advocacy yes groups. and i'm
0: taking one of her courses right now Wh- which is what Informed uh, consent it's uh one of the courses that they offer on her birth monopoly website oh great yeah uh you enjoying it yeah it's a it's there are like 12 to 18 minute video segments there's like six or eight of them in the course you can take them at leisure you can take them as you want i'm on like the fourth one now and i just you know when i have like 20 minutes i just sit down and i and i listen and they're really really informative Great. Really informative, um, and they have lots of references and articles that you can refer to if you really wanted to dig deeper. But for me, it's just sort of—I like to see how it's presented out there because mm-hmm. this sort of just enhances my ability to talk to my clients and and people at, when I give my lectures and stuff like Make that. Make sure
1: you write down the you know the highlights, and you can share it with us.
0: Oh, I did. I have been writing down the highlights. Okay. Actually, didn't they're not here with me? They're <laughs> at my desk at home. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to be, uh, and then I'm flying directly from uh, New Jersey on the 8th to Madison, Wisconsin for the Wisconsin Breach Conference, which is going to be uh That's the one of,
1: you've been talking about.
0: Yeah, we finally got it, uh, we got it sponsored, but not by that nasty uh, OBGYN chief at Madison, who, illogical person, <laughs> who I'd love to talk to sometime. So I, I won't- say Anything more okay because <laughs> I'd love to have an opportunity to ask her why she wouldn't want to sponsor a breach conference just because some people do it at home or some people do water birth, you know, that's not a reason not to sponsor a conference on a core skill, just yep. not. Yep, anyway, that's going to be for I think two days the let's see, the 9th and 10th, and then there's going to be a, a hands on day on Monday, the 11th. I'm not going to be there, but my Sophie and uh, her mom are going to be there. Mom, I'm gonna uh, lend them to uh, Dr. Chavira to transport cross country oh, um, because i can't stay for that extra day so but that's coming up and that's wisconsin and uh you could probably renee if you're listening you could probably put some links on to the uh <laughs> dr Seuss <laughs> podcast website and i'm certainly they'll be on my facebook page for sure and also we'll have some memes go up on instagram so if you're following me on instagram you'll get those and if you get a chance to if you're in the area or you want to Come and see. There's some really great people going to be at the, um, oh, and also at the New Jersey one, there's a lawyer named Diana Snyder who's giving another really, really huge talk. And the, and the theme in New Jersey, I know I'm jumping back and forth, but it's it's a different theme than usual. It's about the threat of malpractice litigation and how what the effect is on the practice of obstetrics in New Jersey uh, and discussing successful defense strategies, as well as, um, you know, it's called um, In Defense of Normal Birth is the name of the... Um, the conference, so that's going to be a good one. That's just lectures. Um, it's an all-day event. It might be won't go on more than one day. I'm just going to be there the one day. And then, uh, you know, we've got Cynthia Calais in Madison. We've got Dr. Chavira is going to be there. Uh, um, Denny Hartung's going to be there. I think uh, Larry Lehman's going to be there. These are like the m- most Americ the m- most prolific breach practitioners in America. And of course, Rick said we'll be there with David Hayes. We'll be there. So it's going Sweet. to be a good, a good thing.
1: Awesome. Yeah. right? So it's coming to that time where we may, um, we're considering going to a conference together in June in Ecuador, mm-hmm. you and I. Yeah. Yeah. So those births are going to start popping up and we're going to have to start saying no. So we should probably start w- talking about that in case anyone wants yeah. to see us in Ecuador.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to take the whole month of June off.
1: I think I am too. Because
0: then we can bop around South America, which I've never been other than three days in Rio once.
1: Well, there's also the International like, Midwifery Conference in Bali this year. So in June, mid-June. So I, Wow, well, I, that's a flight. Yeah, I think I'm going to do those too.
0: Nice. Right. Yeah. So yeah. June, uh, nobody get pregnant in, uh, let's see, September. We're January. busy. Yeah, so no sex this month. Right now, oh, it's already too late because by the time this podcast airs, <laughs> no, you sex could be pregnant. This month. So, no sex this month. Hold <laughs> off. In Southern California, that is. Anywhere else, it's fine.
1: Oh, by the way, I got my first um, travel request. Like someone's going to come from another state to to d- deliver with me. Nice. Las Vegas. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nevada. <laughs> Las Vegas That's is fine. an estate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> people know.
0: <laughs> a, you know, no offense to Nevada, but there's not much else in Nevada. Besides it. Las Vegas.
1: Yeah. There's that dam. Right? Well, Hoover Dam's yeah. there. Hoover yeah, Dam's and there.
0: uh and Reno's Reno's in the north. Mm-hmm. And I think East Lake Tahoe is in Nevada, which is Lake Tahoe's beautiful. Yeah. And then and then there's Area 51.
1: Oh, well that, that's huge. Right.
0: That's in Nevada, but no one knows where it is. It's a secret.
1: Um, the other thing is did you listen to um Augustine's new podcast? I have not yet. Yeah. Um, it's great. It's, she interviewed, um, her second one hasn't come out yet, but her first one was with a midwife in Australia. And, um, and then the second half of the podcast, she does like, you know, she interviews them and talks about what it's like to be a midwife where they are. And, um, and then the second half she does, um, like, um, data and research. I'm just trying to think of the right word for that.
0: What do you mean? She presents... Yeah, she, she like data. like
1: looks over like a paper and does some oh, scientific data. Oh, so it's not data. it's not
0: related to the Australian midwife,
1: though. not necessarily. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would
0: listen just to hear somebody with an Australian accent talk for, <laughs> for half an hour because yeah, I good. love Australian accents. Um, okay. I have a couple things here first. Um, uh, another one of my silly questions that pops into my head is, um, and it's only because of what happened recently uh, with a woman of mine who had twins. Uh, she ended up having to have twins at the hospital, but you know, I transferred to Dr. Chavira and. And he got the twins out, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and they were, this was not the six-hour apart ones. So right. This was a different one. Right. <laughs> different set. And uh, so, why do hospitals insist on holding on to placentas?
1: I think they sell them.
0: No, they, she got it back. <laughs> all right, but you know, the pathology report says <coughs> acute and chronic chorioamnionitis. All right, every pathology report on every placenta ever. C- Looked at says acute and chronic chorioamunitis almost always, it just means there's an infiltration of white cells, which is common and it's normal and it doesn't imply anything, okay. Mm -hmm. But because she was twins and because she delivered, I think, on a Thursday or Friday, and then and then she couldn't get the placenta over the weekend, so they, they held on to it for like five or six days. She didn't want them to hold on to it, she didn't want them to run pathology on it, so she finally took it finally. It took days to get the placenta back, and then. And then, they, then she got a bill in the mail for $800 from pathology.
1: But, oh,
0: God. Okay. From the hospital. That's insane. She's not paying it, she said. I'm not paying it, but she's going to have to fight him now.
1: I have to fight about the labs that I told her. So they to.
0: don't, they want their placenta. There's no significance to the pathology. Hospitals have a policy. There's only one reason they have the policy. As a routine policy, I can understand it if there's something wrong with the baby or whatever else, and even then, the placenta probably isn't going to give you that much information. But the the um, only one reason for that, the policy, and that would be
1: money. Yeah, yeah, which eight
0: hundred dollars yep. to, to to look at two placentas? I guess it's two placentas because you had twins. But um, anyway, so that's just one of my questions. Of
1: I told you about my lab bill, right? At the with the hospital, yes, you did eighteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. That sh- that probably would have cost me about one hundred and twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. So I'm fighting them on that mm-hmm. for sure.
0: But most you know sure. most people n- you need to know that you have to fight them, right? Right. This gets to the right of you know of informed consent. This is one of those things we could go off on a real tangent here <laughs> about 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 price, not clarity. What's the word? Um,
1: transparency. Transparency.
0: Thank you. Price transparency, right? Um, you know, they should have a thing like like you go to a restaurant. You wouldn't order food if you didn't know what it costs. Right. Right. Do but you want you, these. Labs? You go to the doctor, you go to the hospital, and you order stuff and you have no idea what it costs. Right. You have no idea whether your insurance is gonna cover it or not. And then they and then of course they jack up the price tremendously, hoping to get the insurance to pay more than it's worth. And then you're and you're stuck with balanced billing. And and so I I there's there's a uh, a, gr- a group of doctors in Oklahoma that have, that are famous for this that they have price transparency mm-hmm. and everything that they do is on a price list and people can you know what it's going to cost you before you come in and That's it's really nice. cheap like a like an annual visit is like fifty bucks.
1: Mm-hmm. And, That's what we do. We we have price transparency. Yeah, we don't
0: have like a. I mean, yes, I mean we do, but we send people to the lab, but the lab doesn't. Then we don't know what's going to cost them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, you and I, we, we don't have a lot of prices. We quote, you know, this is our, this is our price, and it's one global fee. Mm-hmm. Imagine if you, if you, you know, charge for every appointment or charge for every, you know, like for me, for every ultrasound I did, every non-stress test I did, every, you know, I charge for a pap smear collection or, a, or a, you're peeing in a cup, and I charge each <laughs> one of those. Wouldn't it be, I mean, for somebody to say, you know, well, wait a minute, if the urine's going to cost me two bucks, okay, fine. But for 20 bucks on a routine year now, why, do I, why would I spend $20 or $40 or $800? <laughs> right.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And certainly on a placenta, why can't a woman say, I don't want you to take my placenta? It's mine. She
1: should yeah. be able to do People that.
0: don't know that they can do that.
1: Mm-hmm. You can.
0: And then, of course, if you start causing trouble with the hospital, then the hospital has all these things they can do to you. We're going to have some great guests on next month, probably, with um, who had premature twins and have a... a uh, a NICU story.
1: Okay, great.
0: Won't be quite as bad as last year's Halloween. Um, okay. Story. People remember our last year's Halloween podcast, but we're going to have a traditional, another nightmare on.
1: We should.
0: A- it would be a nightmare on Rose Avenue. This one, the other one was on Atlantic Avenue.
1: Oh, I used to live on Rose. In the Oxnard? No. <laughs> <laughs> no
0: that's different Rose Avenue right? hey
1: before you get too deep into the next topic I, I don't even don't, know what the next topic is I don't yes you do <laughs> I don't want to forget to tell you that I have started watching uh, Highlander Outlander Outlander <laughs> I always get them mixed up yeah no. As Highlander's
0: I, Highlander's <laughs> like uh, with uh, Christopher Lambert and it's like uh, an immortal guy who goes yeah. around killing people
1: Outlander Outlander yeah I started watching it
0: are you are you in season Stu, one? Are you in It's a one?
1: lot of sex. I had no idea. Uh, uh huh. Yes, it is. It's like it's a lot. of there's sex. There's a lot of
0: love scenes. Is that should you talk about? I started
1: watching it with. There's not my, a lot of. There's not a lot of, of.
0: Was there violent sex in it?
1: Violent? No, no. no it's sex. the love scenes.
0: Oh yeah, she and Jamie get it on. Oh
1: yeah, yeah they do. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's like, mom, you always. Put these shows on. That like these so
0: what, where, where are you in the... Uh, where season one. Oh, you're in season one? Okay. Yeah.
1: I heard that by season three, it gets stupid. No. Is that true? No, it
0: follows the books.
1: Okay. I don't know. anyway
0: If the books are stupid. But the first two seasons... You've been seasons, talking about it the first two Yeah, because the first two seasons are about Scottish history and, and, and mm-hmm. the Battle of Culloden. So mm-hmm. that... And then, and then it goes off and they go off and they go... Don't. In,
1: tell me. Oh. Yeah, I haven't read the books. Okay. I have no idea what's going to happen okay. at all. And neither does Jordan, so we're just in the dark. Well, they get in
0: the spaceship, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there's a war on Jupiter. <laughs> okay, never mind. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a different one. That's a different Anyways. one. Anyways. Okay. So I had another one, Another qu- question. Um, is this a catch-22 or not, to have a proven pelvis?
1: Say more about that.
0: Well, some people will say, I, wouldn't, I won't do your vaginal birth because you don't have a proven pelvis. But how do you have a proven pelvis if you haven't? If they won't do your vaginal birth, that's why I'm talking about it. Catch We're talking 22. about V back, Breach. back, I mean, breech, singleton. Cr- that's you know, insane. primate breech, uh, uh, V back. Some people, won't. yeah. So the term proven pelvis is is one of those things.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Which can which can work to someone's advantage, like in my case where I had had a forcep delivery, but had been told that I had an abnormally shaped pelvis and may not be able to deliver again. And my midwife said, well, you have a proven pelvis. Yeah. So in that way, it works to your advantage. But for someone to tell you that you don't and they can't deliver you, that just, I, yeah, that sounds absolutely insane.
0: Well, to me, that's, that gets to the whole topic of selling confidence versus planting fear. Mm-hmm. Okay, And mm-hmm. when, you, when you start to tell people at their very first prenatal visit, well, you know you're over 35. Right. So this is what's going to be happening and this is what's going to happen at the end. Your placenta could give out so we're going to start testing your baby. Or the woman who comes in at 20-week ultrasound and has a perfectly normal ultrasound except it has one small cyst in the choroid plexus as an isolated finding, even when they've already had normal NIPT testing. Mm -hmm. And the doctor tells them, well, it's probably nothing, but I want you to come back in six weeks to make sure it's gone. Right. So that's like, Okay, that's like in the movie in the movie um, uh, Inception, mm-hmm. where they where they they give an example of how to plant a thought in somebody's mind. and You can't just do it. You can't say, uh, "Don't think about elephants." What do you think about elephants? Elephants, right? Mm-hmm. So here you're telling a woman, "I want you back in six weeks." So what's she thinking about for six weeks? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's nothing. But I want you back Don't in six worry. weeks. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry. Right. About so what's it. she doing? She's mm-hmm. worrying. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. So. Yeah, that's one of those things the proven pelvis is sort of what just is one of these stupid things that you hear sometimes just someone brought it up to me and I these things click in my head and I make <laughs> notes on them and I put them on my <laughs> phone and and then I bring them to the podcast because they're things that everybody that's listening has heard
1: not everybody but well not more everybody. and more more and more like just normal people listen
0: normal people
1: do you know what I mean they're not professional um, birth workers they're just people. Just people who are so, going to have babies. So saying
0: "normal people" implies you should say uh, you should say "other normal people." <laughs> like, like what was what did we talk about We're last not podcast? You know, other medical problems. Remember <laughs> yeah. that one? Yes, I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So, what's the safest place to have a baby?
1: Um. Gosh. You're just stumping me today. I'm throwing stuff out at you.
0: <laughs> People ask me these questions all the time on, on the internet.
1: I think it just depends on, on your, what's happening she's for so you. She's so
0: smart. That's why she's the best sidekick in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. Safety is relative. Yeah. If you're, um, if you're high risk, then probably the hospital. What is High risk. Um, and <laughs> I'm going to
0: trap you now. No,
1: no, no, because that's a <laughs> good diabetes. Question. Yeah.
0: Type one diabetes is that high risk?
1: Um, accord. I think it depends on who your provider is. They might have a different interpretation because some people think that 39 is high risk.
0: Breach, be back after two. Right,
1: right. These are things that you be back after one. Depends on your provider. Pregnancy is pregnancy <laughs> high risk? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, if you if you want to if you want to find high risk, you'll find it. You know. Mm-hmm. And if you label if you someone and if you label someone high risk, you make them high risk because right. you're planting seeds of doubts inside of them. Yeah, the safest place to have a baby whoever you know whoever sent that question to me, it depends. It really depends on the on your community, your situation, the availability of, of the skill and level of your practitioners that you have, um, what you consider safe if you consider, the fact that having an operating room thirty feet down the hall if it makes you feel safer, then that's the safest place to have a baby. All right, but it may you may turn out to end up needing that operating room when you wouldn't have needed it if you would have been in a different community hospital or, or or at home or at a birth center.
1: Right, just depends. There's lots of ways to answer that question. Um, that made me think about something. That's that why I do this stuff. Someone told me. Right. So a woman called me yesterday. Um, potentially wanting to come into my care and she said that her sister she's one of 11 children or something and her sister um had a blood clot from an accident um behind her knee Mm -hmm. like in between pregnancies and so they gave her what do they give you for blood clots in pregnancy heparin yeah
0: well they give they give you um uh heparin that's the one you well, inject into yeah, your it's, belly, it's, right? It's the shorter acting one. I'm, it begins with an L and I'm drawing a blank
1: on okay. it. Okay. Um, so they gave it to her sister. And then when she told her provider in one of her pregnancies that her sister had been on heparin because of a blood clot, yes, what what did they do? They put her on... They put her and another sister on heparin because her sister had had this blood clot.
0: Yeah. It's called lovinox. Is the word came to my mind.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. So not... not um, evidence-based, right?
0: Because she had a blood cut when she'd had an accident to yeah. her leg. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: For the sisters to have it's it. It's not
0: evidence-based for the sisters to have it. And if they if they did all the genetic testing or all the testing for looking for hereditary things that cause clotting, then no, it's probably overkill.
1: Right. So uh, she said that another another provider had told them that she could just have a baby aspirin.
0: Yeah, and baby aspirin probably, you know, em, em, empirically, the data isn't very clear on baby aspirin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it's, but it's a first-do-no-harm substance. There's really no harm in taking a baby aspirin. Taking Lovinox probably, because you're only taking, you're probably not taking a therapeutic dose. You're probably taking a once-a-day prophylactic dose. So other than having to stick yourself in your belly every day.
1: Yeah, but if she's, if she's no, you declining don't, it.
0: Yeah, and and and... And this is not somebody who had a pulmonary embolus or a deep venous thrombosis uh, that was spontaneous. I mean, this is, this is triggered by trauma. Now, people that have clotting disorders, they're more likely to have a blood clot when they have trauma. So without knowing fully well how they worked up the sister with the um, blood clot behind the knee, I really can't say, but it does sound a little bit like overkill. For, I think, for the siblings. Yes, and I think there's a, the recommendations for anti, uh, anticoagulation in pregnancy. You know, they really are, they've really narrowed them down to essentially a previous um, event in that person or one other thing. And I don't think having a relative with a blood clot after trauma would qualify you to be. Thinking, and there's and a very good algorithm. I mean, it's very, I, I can I even picture it in my head. And so I don't think that she would have fallen into the needs treatment category.
1: Right. Anyways, I just found that fascinating.
0: Yeah, you had somebody else you wanted to talk to me about too.
1: Um, I just wanted to talk in general about same-sex couples getting pregnant. Oh, Because I think that it's happening more and more frequently. Of course And um, I want to be more informed in terms of, um, you know, obviously once they're pregnant, they're pregnant. And it's just like any other, you know, woman being pregnant besides being sensitive about the social issues, right? But, and uh, talk to me more about the actual pregnancy, getting pregnant part, like the IUI.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, you don't even need to do IUI. IUI is more advanced. You could do intracervical insemination. You could use it like a cervical cap or something, or, you know, they have these caps that you could put in um, and just put it up against your cervix. But most people... If they're going to go to the trouble of getting, you know, a donor sperm, it's mm-hmm. usually frozen and washed, mm-hmm. which is designed for IUI. So when I have a couple that comes to me, you know, for a consult and, you know, I try, I, I find out what's important to them. And one of the things that's important you know, sometimes is, is the expense and optimizing the use of the donor sperm. Because each time they go to the, the sperm bank, it's three $400, I think, or even more to get a, a sample that they picked out from the donor list. Mm-hmm. Some people have their friends do it, and that's fine too, and they can go in and get it washed, and then they can have it put in. But usually it's frozen and Say stuck.
1: more about the washing. What's the washed?
0: Well, that would be like the donor goes to the sperm bank.
1: Uh-huh.
0: He goes into a room, does his thing. Mm-hmm. They take it into another room, and then they, they spin it, wash it, and spin it in... In the solution, so they spit out all the white cells, all the, sem- uh, and just leave the sperm. Okay. And then they resuspend the sperm. It's like a pellet, and they resuspend the sperm in the supercharging, this pink supercharging solution. <laughs> okay.
1: What does that do? Well,
0: it's got highs in proteins and glucose. It's very physiologic and it keeps the sperm alive.
1: Kind of like the fr- our, our, when we're fertile. Like that?
0: Yeah, uh, it's, but it's it's you know it's artificial. Yeah. I don't I know exactly how they make it, but okay. and uh and then they take it right into like the next room and then they put it in. So it's not frozen, it's it's fresh and it's mm-hmm. from a donor that they know of. Mm-hmm. And some people who have um you know, cervical mucus problems or that sort of thing, that you know, even couples, you know, uh hetero hetero heteroseg- no, not heterozygous. Uh heterosexual, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> heterosexual I couples. Thought that's
1: what you meant, but yeah, I was like, Wait. No, no,
0: heterosexual couples. <laughs> Um, sometimes they need to do that because either his sperm counts are low or they whatever, and so they do, they, they do good direct IUI, which helps to improve the chances of conceiving. But anyway, let's just assume it's IUI. So what I offer them is, is depending on their cycle, I offer them a follicle scan if they want it, mm-hmm. and usually they do, and they'll come in. If they have a 28-day cycle, which is a typical cycle, that means they usually ovulate around day 14. Okay, The second half of the cycle, what's called the luteal phase, is usually consistent at about 14 days. So people that have a 30-day cycle, they probably ovulate on day 16. Mm-hmm. People with a 26-day cycle probably ovulate around day 12. Mm-hmm. And you can know that, and they can use their typical predictors. They can use their, their, their sticks that they pee on, the LH surge sticks. But if you really want to be accurate, you can look at follicles, and you can see a follicle developing. And a follicle is just a simple cyst on the ovary, and you can watch it get bigger, And we know follicles grow about two to three millimeters a day. We know follicles ovulate somewhere between 22 and 28 millimeters on average. So if they come in on day 11 and they have an 18 millimeter follicle, we can figure that they're probably about two days away from ovulation, maybe four. So we'll have them come back in two days. And if the follicle is now 23, 24, or 22, whatever it is, um, then we would inseminate them that day. Mm -hmm. And then I usually tell them to come back in two days, and if the follicle is gone, we're fine. And if the follicle is still there, I would suggest that they re-inseminate again. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, sperm naturally in cervical mucus, sometimes you can live four or five days. IUI sperm probably doesn't quite live that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so you probably have 24 to 48 hours where you know you have the chance to get pregnant. So you want to get the sperm in there. But you want the sperm in there before they ovulate. Okay, because the, the, the released egg doesn't have very long to get pregnant, maybe 12 hours. Mm-hmm. If it's not fertilized at that point, it's probably not going to be fertilized. So
1: someone who knows their cycle really well, right? right? Like let's say they've been doing FAM, okay. fertility awareness mm-hmm. method, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been tracking and they know. They know their cycle very well. So you would want to do it the day before? Is that what you're saying? Yeah,
0: you'd want to do it the day before or the morning of. Yeah. Okay. You want to do it... Um, like I wouldn't risk to waiting till day fourteen on a twenty-eight day cycle if mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do. I would just put it in on day thirteen. Okay. Right.
1: So when people ask to do this at home, they they can't do the ultrasound for the follicle and all of that. Yeah. So. Um,
0: but how do they do IUI at home? Y- yeah. By themselves, you can't really. You have to because you have to. You have to f- feed a little catheter through the cervix up into the uterus. Really, I don't know anybody that can really do that at home by themselves because you got to actually see where you're.
1: With an ultrasound.
0: No, no. You do it with a speculum. You don't need. You don't need an ultrasound to put the well, catheter. you could
1: do that at home. Right? Oh yes, yeah. If they have a yeah. speculum and stuff, sure. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I just you saying people by themselves. No, you know. they don't want to go into the office.
0: Oh no! As they far as a midwife going to the their house up, and doing mm-hmm. it, oh for sure, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And for you, sure.
1: and it, and could you do uh, the ones that aren't frozen? Could someone just donate?
0: Well, if it's donated sperm and not washed. You don't want to put it directly in the uterus mm-hmm. because all the white cells and stuff that are still in there will cause pretty seve- can often cause pretty severe cramping and an inflammatory response. That's why it's washed to get rid of all... Why
1: is it different than sex?
0: Because you have mucus. Because the mucus filters that stuff out. If you're talking about just putting it in the cervix... yeah. Oh, yeah you can do that you could you could have a donor and then you could have a, a friend of yours in the next room uh-huh. <laughs> give a sample walk into the next room right. take a take a, a syringe all right
1: could it live besides like longer than that yeah
0: a few hours you could I mean you want to keep it so warm so if you if you want to drive it someplace or something like that yeah mm-hmm. you could do that okay but a few hours and then you want to you know because you want to keep it body temperature mm-hmm if it gets cold, then the sperm begin to slow down, and yeah, that sort of thing. So they it's need to be harder. heated up. But yes, you could you could do non-IUI. That's called inter, just or just intracervical mm-hmm. um, uh, insemination. Just yeah, you don't even. That's need when it, they talk
1: about like a turkey baster. Yeah, from their buddy. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how often that's talked about anymore, but I've definitely heard it in the past. No,
0: that's that's exactly right. I mean, I, I would use a syringe, but a turkey baster would be fine too. <laughs> it's not a that's not a sterile procedure.
1: Right. Neither is right. said where
0: IUI. IUI is sort of a sterile procedure because you're putting something up into the uterus. Right. 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 That makes
1: sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were we were talking about a question that I got from from someone specifically about um, it would be her second pregnancy, and with her first pregnancy, um, she was on Clomid, and um, for PCOS, and she was also on progesterone. So the question was, as she's considering getting pregnant again, would she need to to consider getting on those medications again, and she had a normal period three months after her first delivery, so her periods now are regular. So and and how
0: did she get pregnant the first time? I don't know. Oh, you don't know? Yeah. Okay, would be interesting to know. Okay. If she had to do anything special the first time.
1: Well, she did because she's in a same sex.
0: No, but I'm saying, did she did she take any? Did she have to take anything to make her ovulate or? How did she do it? Did she just do intracervical? Did she do IUI? Uh-uh. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. If I were her and it worked, I'd just do exactly what I did the time before.
1: Yeah. I think she was hoping that if she didn't have to be on these medications, that she would she would not be on these medications. Oh, they medications. put her
0: on the medications last time? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. On... I missed that.
1: That's okay. Clomid for PCOS. Right. And progesterone. And so I think you and I were talking that progesterone is just kind of like an insurance policy. Were you saying
0: Clomid or, or Metformin?
1: Sorry, Metformin. Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Metformin. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, no. If she's ovulating regularly right now, there's no reason to do that.
1: The Metformin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then the
0: progesterone, I, I, you know, the progesterone is sort of like, uh, it, like you. I think we were talking earlier, you said yeah. it's like an insurance policy. Yeah. It's like, you know, why not? But the the thing is, is that uh, Why?
1: Right. If it's a normal pregnancy, and she's not having fertility issues. Right, right. How old is she? Um, thirty-two. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd let her try for three to six months on her on her own before I would even consider intervening, because that's typically what you do with it with a heterosexual couple.
1: Oh, so you just kind of do it every every ovulation. Yeah, the
0: chance of conceiving the, the the term for conceiving in any given cycle is called fecundity. So just because you're doing insemination doesn't mean you're going to get pregnant, and the fecundity of a human female peaks at around 22 years of age, and then it gradually goes down, but it grows down very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. But the fecundity, at at your very best, is less than 25% in any given cycle. Let's just say, do the math because it's easy, let's just say 20%. Mm -hmm. First of all, the fecundity of a rabbit is 99%. (laughs) In other words, every time they ovulate, they get pregnant, if there's a male rabbit around. That's
1: why we say... Breeding like rabbits.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. So, But the fecundity of a human being, because we're a successful species, is much lower. So the chance, let's just say at 20%. So if 100 if hundred women of reproductive age are trying to get pregnant in any given month having unprotected sex whenever they feel like it, 20 will get pregnant, 80 will not be pregnant after the first month. Mm-hmm. After the second month, 20% of the 80 or 16 more will be pregnant. So you have, you'll have 36 pregnant and 64 not pregnant. Mm-hmm. After the third month of the 64, um, I think 20% of that is 13. So you'll have... 49 pregnant, or 47 pregnant, and 53% not pregnant. So after three months of unprotected sex in a 25-year-old woman, more than half are still not pregnant.
1: Hmm. And
0: that's normal. Mm -hmm. And that's why we tell people not to really even...
1: Worry about it.
0: Yeah, to take the stress out of it and just Mm -hmm. say, try for six months. By six months, about 74% of women who want to be pregnant will be pregnant right and right. some of those women will have miscarried and then they go back into the right. other side but right. but um up to a, up to 30% will have miscarried but of the 24 that are pregnant most of them don't have a problem they're just it's 1 in 5 every time and if you if you don't get it the first time it doesn't change the next month it's still 1 in 5 and then 1 in 5 chance chance of getting pregnant mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. In five, 1 in 5 and 1 in 5 and if 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 you took a, a a dice with five numbers on it and rolled it you might not get uh, one might not come up for 15 in a row.
1: Right. Right. Unless you're me playing Yahtzee.
0: But your dice has six sides to it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Unless I'm you're cheating. I'm really good, by unless the way. Unless you're cheating, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always get a Yahtzee.
0: You always get a Yahtzee? Mm-hmm. Right off the bat?
1: No, not right off the bat. But, Do you
0: win if you get a Yahtzee? Or is that no, just part of your score? You get 100 That's just points. part of your scorecard, right?
1: Yeah, you got to come over to my new place and play Yahtzee. i I, I, I love played Yahtzee before. <laughs> I'm sure you have. Yeah. Most people long have played time, Yahtzee. Long time ago. It's fun. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, that was really interesting. I want to play Scrabble. I, I, I like Scrabble. Um, yeah, not me. My dad, he he. Uh, I just like ruined my, it for me, but he's a good person to play Scrabble with.
0: Your dad. Mm. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm there.
1: <laughs> really good, I'm telling you. Okay, um, so I think I've gotten Dula.
0: doula, D O U L A.
1: I think I've gotten all my my questions answered. Thank you. That was very enlightening. Yes. So yeah, yeah
0: you can you can do inseminations at at people's homes, no problem. Just yeah. really can't do intrauterine inseminations. That makes sense. Without the, you could if you had a speculum and you had a syringe and you had the frozen speculum and you, a frozen specimen which you thaw out. And then you suck it up into the syringe and you have a what's called a, a long intersemination catheter, which, you know, you can always steal from my office. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, the, I, the thing that I'm hearing, you know, is that if you're doing it like with a friend and a friend is donating and and you can do that easily and very low cost, then doing it at home in the way that we talked about makes sense. But if you're... Doing all of the cost and difficulties to do the frozen method, it makes sense to do it where you're looking at the follicles and you're making sure. Yeah, because there's because there's yeah. more costs. And you yeah. know, and, and I
0: charge, you know, I I charge $150 for a follicle scan for a month. So if somebody comes in and gets one follicle scan, it's $150. If they need four, it's $150. Each time. No.
1: Oh, oh okay. Uh-huh.
0: Because I don't want them to ever think. That I'm having them come in extra times just to make money. So it's a flat fee. It's again, it's that price. It's that price transparency we talked about.
1: Yeah, it's very generous.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it takes no time at all. But I know that most radiology groups would charge more than charge. They would charge every time you went mm-hmm. in, right? Right. So cool. And then of course I, uh, you know, of course with a lot of clients I give, I, you know, I give cash discounts. You, know, you know, that know, all the time.
1: I love collaborating with you. By the way, I sent two clients to you recently. One came in for their 20-week scan, and we found out she's having twins. Yes. Yeah. So we might be working together on that. She hasn't, deci-
0: she hasn't made that decision yet. She hasn't told me.
1: No. I'm going to see her first, yeah. and then I'm coming in that day but if with she's, you.
0: Yeah. If she wants to work with you, then she'll have to work with me.
1: <laughs> He's got a monopoly. I do. I have a monopoly in Southern California. You do. I'm, um, I'm
0: home, so so that's
1: going to be Brown. interesting, and I'm... I'm um, I'm excited to collaborate with you on that. We haven't done that kind of situation where I was the primary midwife first, and then you know we brought you on the team. So, and the
0: other one, I think, had an isolated choroid plexus cyst, if I remember correctly. Maybe not, but I told him it's nothing. I told them it doesn't mean anything. Just what we. Oh, talked
1: to... on, on the twin. Is was not? it one of the
0: twins, or was it uh, was it the other other client that you sent? No,
1: me? the other one was that one I, I sent to you recently because I could not. I was not confident on, on position, the position. Which, oh,
0: right. No, that's right. It was It was, It was. was somebody else's climb.
1: You know me. I'm really good at palpating. I know, I know. But it was like that bottom felt really hard and round. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel it? Did yeah, you palpate it? I did. Did I could it see, feel?
0: I could see. Well, I think the head was actually sort of deep. And yeah, I could tell how you could easily not and i'm not just saying that because i no, no no i love you dearly no no
1: here. but i put on um the fetoscope, which is the way from a midwifery perspective how we can confirm like if i didn't have you to go to i would have been i told her i said i'm like 95 percent confident now that i've listened because that was the only way that we could hear a very clear heartbeat was in the lower right quadrant um so after I did that, I was I was confident, but they were they were totally happy to go see you, and so I figured, why not?
0: Yeah, and if you're if there's any question when you're in labor, um, you know, if you can't tell by Leopold's, do it do a vaginal exam. I mean, just do one vaginal. Oh, in labor, yeah. If but you're not I wouldn't, sure, yeah, right? I wouldn't yeah. want to wait that
1: long. And if we didn't have a law, I don't think I would really care that no, much. No, you wouldn't care that much. <laughs> so, anyways, that was interesting. Right. You had a topic that lo- that
0: lo- well, I've got a couple topics, but okay, good. But the that that yeah, that law is really screwy really it really is again it's it's in some ways it's just as bad as the vaccine mandate because it really removes choice from from um, yeah from people and it made my life much worse because and, i had midwives who could who could back me up mm-hmm, for breaches and twins right Rashad and, used to do it there were a couple other midwives that that were comfortable with breaches and twins and i uh, would do it well now you would
1: i would yeah. For
0: sure. Yeah. And, and Beth, I, I'm sure Beth would too. I yeah.
1: Mean, and I tell people that, you know, for me personally, if I found out that I was pregnant with a breech baby, I wouldn't try it to turn it. That's just me personally. Right. So that doesn't even seem like a like a thing anymore. You know? Well, Most people are like, well, we should try and turn it.
0: Well, all doctors say that because the only alternative is a cesarean right. section. Which you want to avoid. But in my practice, the only reason that people come to, when I see a consult at 37, 38 weeks for breach. I offer them version because if we're able to turn the baby, it's a lot less money for them.
1: Right, and they, it's only three percent, right? The incident at, at term of breach, right? Three to
0: four percent at term. Yeah, yes. yeah.
1: People right. are like, I can't believe it's that low. I hear about it all the time, and I wonder if it's because we're also intervening. And by the time that baby delivered, it may not be breach. You know what I mean?
0: I think no. I think that that's the number. I think it. You know, in my <laughs> in my practice, it's about twenty four percent of my practice <laughs> though. But, right, that makes sense. But though. um. Yeah, I think it's like anything else. It's like you you hear about measles outbreaks,
1: right? And it seems like everybody has everybody measles. has one, but nobody. Oh, but there was really. forty cases. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: In a in a you know in a county of one point six million people. Right. right. Okay. So here's a uh, just a quick article, and then I want to get to a letter from a, a listener. Um, you know, we uh, that I use uh, Sophie and her mom when I do my breach teaching. It's a she's a model, and uh, she's fairly pricey. Um, very lifelike. Also, uh, my my uh, Sophie's mom now has a, a second perineal tear. So, oh no! Yeah, it's you know when you're doing when you're doing eighty or ninety births <laughs> or, or more, 100 a hundred some births No, uh, uh, yeah, for every seminar, <laughs> yeah, your bottom gets torn. And they've reinforced it now. I I saw uh, Rixa and David have the new newer model, and they mine's much more lifelike looking, and theirs is much more not lifelike looking, but they have a reinforced uh, perineum, whereas mine doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because they're not designed to be turned upside down. On their the, hands and knees. Yeah. When of. I, t- you know, I've I built my my frame to turn it upside down. David has his own little rig that he turns it upside down. But it, they, there's four. There are four bases to the Sophie that stick it to the base. And when it's upside down, she begins to stretch those things. And and with all this work, the last couple of times she began to tear off the base.
1: Hmm.
0: so I've, I've been, I'm in the process of working back and forth with the manufacturers to see, uh, you know, whether I have to buy a new base, a new mum, or whether I have to, they can fix that, or their future models, they can maybe come up with a new design.
1: Yeah, tell uh, them. To do
0: that. Oh, I, I have. I'm in communication Teaching with them. hands and knees. Also, Sophie's legs are a little stiff. They tend to pop out more so than they are realistically with a real breech baby, but I think, you know, is not designed for breech. She's designed for head-down deliveries and practicing Mm -hmm. shoulder dystocia and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, so I was bringing that up because there's a new robot out. This is a very expensive robot. It's like $90,000. All right? It's not just for breech. It's for everything. It's called Victoria. And this hospital in Illinois, uh, this nursing program in Illinois bought one. And she has the capability to simulate low- and high-risk deliveries, including complications such as postpartum hemorrhage and shoulder dystocia. What's more, her eyes move, allowing for pupillary assessments, And she talks and is able to, for instance, to provide a patient history, announce another contraction, or ask for an epidural. (laughs) (laughs) Just a self-driving robot, right? Uh, The simulator is equipped with a fetal delivery system, control software, and a library of pre-programmed scenarios that allow nursing students to improve performance in specific birthing scenarios, according to the SCC, that's the school, news release. The scenarios include normal deliveries as well as breech delivery, C-section, C-section, interesting, and various other complicated deliveries. Okay. So I read this and I'm thinking this is, you know, this is great because we don't get as much hands-on as we need. True. And wouldn't that be great to supplement your training as a as a nurse or a, a midwife or a, a medical student or a resident? And then there's this one sentence in here which I just have to read to you, okay? Um the students working toward beginning a license practice nurse must log 40 obstetrical hours and students working toward a registered nurse license have to log 75 hours on, on Victoria. These hours are logged over the course of months and some students complete the entire obstetrics rotation without ever experiencing a live birth. Mm. Okay. Silence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, that may be true, but I, I, I wouldn't be, so it just sounds like they're like okay with that. Yeah. Right. And that I'm not okay with.
1: I'm not okay with that either. Okay.
0: Um,
1: Especially for someone that would be working on their own, but this sounds like people that are going to be working in a hospital. Right?
0: Yeah, but even, but yeah. So, I mean, it's good for nursing students and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but still, I mean, I can't tell you how many times nurses end up catching babies and stuff like that. And to just go through your whole obstetrics nursing rotation and not witness... A human. A human giving birth.
1: <laughs> because even though it has some really cool features, it's not. It's, it's still not the not same. A human. It's not
0: somebody that you know. You really have to. You, you could probably be rude to Victoria, and she's not going to be. And the husband isn't going to smack you, okay? Because right. Victoria doesn't have a husband. I don't think. Did
1: you ever get smacked? No. Oh. Well,
0: Just, wow. wow is that a real story? I'm being overly dramatic. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's a. Um, a letter from listener Fanny. Where's Fanny? Er. Didn't write it down. Sorry, right. Fanny. Sorry. Okay. So this was from, uh, she says, my name is Fanny, and I'm an avid and dedicated listener of yours. And I always read that part because it's... Because we like Because we like that part. <laughs> it got me to go through my H-back in April.
1: Yay. And
0: I couldn't be more appreciative of the work you guys do. So mm. she's thanking you and me.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: And John. She's thanking John,
1: too. <laughs> John doesn't want to speak yet, yes. but we're, we're working on it. Yes.
0: I wanted to ask for your expertise, a low amniotic fluid. So this is a discussion of oligohydramnios, mm-hmm. okay, or lowish amniotic <laughs> fluid level. <laughs> at 36 weeks last Friday, my friend opted for the growth ultrasound that OBs recommend due to advanced maternal age. Mm-hmm. She even puts in parentheses, she puts eye roll <laughs> in parentheses, okay. Big, big problem getting a unnecessary ultrasound for advanced maternal age at 36 weeks. You're increasing your rate of cesarean section and induction by over 20%. Just by having that ultrasound done—that's
1: a statistic, a real statistic. Yep. Say a it paper, one more time.
0: Paper that came out that said the chance of having a, a cesarean section goes up 22 percent, not 22 percent over the 30 percent, but 22 percent over what it would be by just having a unnecessary third trimester scan. I mean, a that's
1: a good one. To ninth know. a
0: ninth month scan, not a third trimester scan. Ninth month scan. Great. Okay, and it was discovered that she had low fluid, actually. Quote, no fluid, unquote, is how they put it. She talked them into giving her fluids overnight. She's a midwife herself. Oh, good for her. She practiced in a hospital, though, and I always call those midwives purgatory midwives.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> they're in purgatory. They're in pra- yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 Which,
0: which uh, and she, they agreed to let her wait a day. And the next day, she was back to normal. So they decided to keep her one more day. All right, figure that out, All right?
1: One more day? Why?
0: No, she's back to normal. Mm-hmm. Why are you keeping her in the hospital? <laughs> All right, cha-ching, cha-ching. All right, I don't know. And we check the next morning. If normal, she could go home. Well, why couldn't she just go home and come back the next morning?
1: Good point. Because yeah. so something might happen, and then they'd be held responsible.
0: All oh, right. So she probably sat on the monitor with the family staring at the tracing for twenty-four hours.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
0: That's that's gonna help. Um, She was a little lower than normal the next morning, not bone dry, but not where they wanted her to be. So they admitted her to the hospital. They gave her another ultrasound yesterday, and they said her fluid was still low, but nothing else was bad. They are considering it idiopathic, but they are proceeding as planned with an induction tomorrow. So her questions, Fanny's questions are, what are the causes of low fluid if nothing can be found via ultrasound? Baby's kidneys look good. She's well hydrated, was given fluids the first night in the hospital. They cannot find anything wrong. Could her placenta just be slowly giving out, even though it looks good on ultrasound? Next question was, or should I answer each question as first? Yeah. Okay. So um, let me see. A good balance.
1: Cause. Answer. Cause of love. Well, I,
0: you know what? I, I got to read my whole answer, so I'm going to ask all the questions first. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> I wrote her whole answer. <laughs> I mean, I could answer them again, but I bothered to write it out. So that's no, okay. What happens to women who do not get a late-term growth ultrasound, who have low fluid? I understand a lot of what she is experiencing has to do with hospital protocols. I'm curious what home birth or farm midwives would could do in that case. Also, is low fluid increased risk for cord compression during labor? She is wondering about her risk of C-section, and the OBs aren't giving her a detailed answer. Thank you for taking the time to read my email. I consider you to be the highest authority in all things related to birth. Nice. Oh, my God. (laughs) I hope you and Bliss will continue your work for a long, long time. Us too. You are a dying breed, or as Brad Boots Taylor would say, the runway is getting short. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is what I wrote to Fanny. I wrote, Dear Fanny, thank you for writing and for the compliments. I am sharing this with Bliss. I love your perspective and your concern about the veracity of what your friend is being told. This is a problem with, quote, unnecessary, unquote, late third trimester scans. I do not believe it is proper to give specific medical advice to a non-client. Okay, there is so much I don't know specifically about her. So I'm, this is in general I'm talking, and I always do this when I answer people, mm-hmm. is I say, without an exam, without a full medical history, how I'm responding to you is not to be taken. I, mean, I almost have a disclaimer. It's like not to be taken as, as individual you medical should advice. should have a disclaimer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, low fluid can still be normal. The definition of adequate fluid is either one pocket greater than two centimeters in depth or a total of five centimeters in all four quadrants. There is no true diagnosis of lowish fluid. But if the biophysical profile is otherwise normal, it is not of concern to me. So we don't know what the biophysical profile was, but I'm assuming that since they let her go overnight and two nights... That the rest of the biophysical profile, which includes fetal movement, tone, breathing, yeah. and a reactive non-stress test without D-cells is normal. That then the baby's normal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just a variation of normal. Some women have to be one to two standard deviations from the mean in order for a normal fluid level to be determined. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, if normal fluid level is ten, some people have to be five because others are going to be twenty. Right. I mean, it's just the way it works. Sometimes the placenta can slowly be, quote, giving out, but usually there will be other findings if it is insufficient. There is a trend that women who are physically fit exercise a lot or with breech babies can have lower normal fluid. I think grading a placenta as a lone criteria is not valid.
1: Um, I don't know about this whole giving out placenta, honestly. No, I know. Yeah. I know. I think there are some placentas that, that actually like develop improperly, and, they're, and they cause problems throughout the pregnancy. You can just see that like the baby's just not thriving.
0: That's different. Yeah, um, yeah that's yeah. different than a baby that's normal size but the fluid is low. Yeah. And then you know um, you know with with poor growth that's and it's funny you should say that because I wrote a note here. Poor growth is a different story. which yeah. you're growing normally, and then you, then also you can do Doppler flow studies uh, of the um, like the uterine artery. Look for notching and look for um, flow in the baby's brain compared to the umbilical cord and compare those. And there are certain ratios that are considered to be reassuring and normal.
1: To say that the placenta is functioning properly is what you're saying.
0: (laughs) That the baby's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the Mm -hmm. baby's fine to go another three or four days Mm -hmm. and get retested, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And again, I've seen this commonly. You probably have too. Women that are like, you know, mega fit, trainers, You know what do they call athletes that uh, run marathon? What do they call those people? Um, There's a word for them, that they they overtrain. They're they're not overtrained, but they're excessively good athletes. Mm -hmm. And also with breech babies, you see that they often will have lower amniotic fluid volume, just the way they are. Mm -hmm. All right. So then I go on and say those that do not get an ultrasound late are usually perfectly fine because that is what nature does. A good palpation by a skilled practitioner like bliss <laughs> can usually determine if fluid is present. Bliss is, oh, I said it, and bliss is excellent at that. Thanks. Yeah, couldn't, I did. Good couldn't well. determine a cephalic You've sent baby, people to me, uh, you say, oh, there's too much fluid, there's not enough fluid, and you're absolutely, every time yeah. you're right. You've yeah. been right every time.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: Okay. Low fluid can be a risk for cord compression, but isn't pathognomic. pathognomonic, Pathonemonic. <laughs> oh, God. Path nemonic for it. Oh, my God. That was a. You know what? I can say the word, but if I look at the word. So,
1: pathology, having yeah. to do with it's pathological.
0: It, 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 it means it's not definitively associated with mm-hmm, it. All mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So, listening in labor is a way to see if there is compression. I know you are skeptical about what has happened to your friend. I don't blame you. It happens so often, but I cannot speak to this particular case. These are some of my thoughts. So, The problem is, and again, in everything that we've discussed, you and I, so many times, is that there's so much wolf crying that you never know when it's real when you hear a story secondhand. Right. You just don't know. Yeah. Because so many doctors skew their counseling, they skew their findings. They, you know, we just hear it. And maybe, and maybe there aren't as many as I think, and I'm just a clearinghouse for those. So I just think it happens more often than not. But just reading the reading the feeds and stuff on Facebook that other people write and on the Coalition for breech Birth, or I can, you know, I, I think that it's pervasive as far as giving scary information and and, and uh, overcalling things.
1: Culturally, it's, it's beyond birth, but right. yes. She asked something about what would they do on the farm?
0: No, she just asked, if you don't do a third trimester ultrasound, what happens to babies that have low fluid? Mm-hmm. And I just said it's normal.
1: Yeah, they probably just go. They're it goes on un, on un, undetected, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, unless it, it, unless you're actually seeing it, an issue during the pregnancy. Yeah,
0: if the fundal height isn't growing, if there's other problems, and you risk and the risk for small for gestational age or IUGR, yeah, then you have a higher risk of stillbirth or something like that. But other than that, you really, you really, you really don't. And so that's why testing should begin, you know, in closer to 42 weeks than than anywhere sooner than that, because sooner they're going to find variations of normal that are going to be considered abnormal and then they're going to intervene and they're going to lead down that cascade of interventions pathway
1: right right mm-hmm.
0: so i think uh i think i'll hold. i got another thing to, but i think we don't have time
1: well let's schedule something we'll see each other soon I'm moving, real soon we have
0: a, we have a, we have a couple bursts coming i'm moving to the valley right are you going to call me to go to movies really
1: yeah. <laughs> yes
0: all <right>. okay good because <laughs> I go to movies all the time I I end, I end up going by play. myself because I go in the day because I have a lot of daytime time off and nobody I know has any daytime time off
1: yeah I'm not going to drive on Fridays so maybe we can have a Friday movie day
0: you're not going to drive on Fridays nope that's a new thing
1: I'm not going to have clients drive either because it's just nuts out there so I can walk to the movie
0: Nice. <laughs> That's a really good thought. It's like you're going to have your Shabbat on Friday.
1: <laughs> Shabbat on you're, Friday. Uh, you're going
0: to do your Elliot Berlin thing, but you're going to do it a day early. Yeah. Anyway, to everybody who's listening right now, it's probably already over, but uh, Happy Jewish New Year to you. Uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are coming up. and uh, Again, I'll be in uh, New Jersey and in Madison, Wisconsin in November. Uh, we do appreciate you listening, as always. Uh, you can find us on uh, uh, com or iTunes. Write us some reviews. Please.
1: Share us with your friends. And
0: as always I say, I know you have many, many things to be doing and many things to be listening to, but here in Southern California, you spend a lot of time in your car. And even though you have a lot of podcasts to listen to, we're honored that you continue to listen to ours. So thanks very much. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye-bye.